Hey, this is Frost Bain with Worldwind Public Radio. Today I'm going to be interviewing Eli Kurtz uh, about his new Savage World Settings Kickstarter. Uh, Eli, you want to talk about it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, it's really glad to be, uh, really glad to be here, so thanks for having me on. Uh, second of all, yeah, so the Kickstarter is beginning May 2nd. It is for the Blackwood Errantry Codex, which is a setting for Savage Worlds that includes a plot point campaign. Uh, we became Savage Worlds licensees back in February, so we've got everything pretty much lined up uh, to get the Kickstarter up and running. But, you know, like you said, this will probably air while the campaign is up and going anyway. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, in a nutshell, the Blackwood is a marriage between Grimm's Tales and Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Um, other influences would include like The Witcher and uh, early American folk tales and a lot of wuxia stories in general. Uh, so the general idea is that you are errants, which is a wandering class of adventurers, and you are all part of the Elder Kingdom, which was ruled for a thousand years by this figure, the Elder King, who disappeared 14 years ago. And since then, um, elves have started to come back out of the woods. And these are not like, you know, Legolas Tolkien elves. These are like Rumpelstiltskin, Fey Court kind of elves. They're very alien and other. Um, and as errants, you wander this forest full of deadly beauty to try and find a way to save the settled people of the Elder Kingdom from all of these threats that are mounting in the Elder King's absence. The way Savage World's uh, plot point campaigns work, they have kind of an overarching story that's intended to be more or less background information for the setting, and then the rest of the adventures are taken up in the form of Savage Tales, which are basically just one-shots. And so I've got a nine-quest arc that will talk about the story of the Elder King, uh, the history of him, what happened to him, what uh, his disappearance means for the Blackwood and that sort of thing. And then I've got another, I think it's 30 or 40 quests at this point that are between little 200 word kind of here's a prompt and do your own details all the way up to 1200 word full one shots and, uh, and all that stuff. Where where did the uh, uh, idea behind this uh, come from? Where do where you know uh, it is an unusual fusion of uh, ideas. So uh, right. I haven't heard it before. Um, so yeah, where where did that come from? Yeah, well, you know, I used to live in Missouri. I actually went to college in Springfield, so uh, there's a little bit of nostalgia coming on the show here. But um, <laughs> uh, the idea for the show happened whenever I or for the game uh, happened whenever I moved to Chicago about six years ago. And I was really nostalgic for like the Mark Twain National Forest and the Ozarks in general. Mm -hmm. And I had just left mo uh, where most of my family lives. So I was also kind of nostalgic about my own family history and that sort of thing. And so I started doing a lot of reading and research. And I read, you know, like ecology books on forests. And I read information that I could get from my grandmas about my family history on either side. And it turns out that most of my family is German and Swedish. Um, and so that kind of covers, you know, the forest theme and also the Germanic uh, kind of folktale roots of Grimm's Tales. Um, but my family has also been in the United States for a long time. So I wanted to find a way to include that. Like, um, you know, a lot of a lot of settings will take inspiration from Tolkien in the forms of, uh, you know, the races that are available and like the tone of the world and that sort of thing. And I took inspiration from Tolkien, but not in that regard. I mean, everybody in the Blackwood is a human, unless you're some sort of like mutated human that's been elf touched and, uh, and you have some sort of weird quirk to you. Um, instead, where I took inspiration from Tolkien was this idea that he wanted to create 
a mythology that was unique to his homeland, uh, the British Isles. And I kind of want to do the same thing with the Blackwoods. So I knew it needed to be a melting pot. Um, and then something that was intended to distinguish it from the rest of the fantasy setting mm -hmm. pack uh, is that since I was a kid, I've always loved Kung Fu movies uh, all the way from Bruce Lee and Jackie Chan to, you know, like Stephen Chow and everyone today. Um, and so I was, I was trying to find a way to make that high flying world work within the context of folk tales mm -hmm. and reading Grimm's tales. There's a lot of weird stuff that goes on there. Like it, it, it's not normal at all. It's a very heightened, uh, setting, even though it's not necessarily like your flashy magic, magic, the gathering fireballs and lightning bolts type thing. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I was trying to find a way to combine all three of those, okay. the folklore, the ecology and wuxia and uh six years later it's it's in pretty solid shape <laughs> it's it's an audacious idea for sure but our playtesters have been pretty thrilled by it and everybody goes in kind of like what the hell's this and then they end up and they're like oh yeah this is awesome i liked you know the way it all comes together interesting um so you've been working on this uh project for a while now it sounds like um how, how yeah yeah um how long what kind of playtesting have you done for it as well yeah, so it started off just being more or less a thought experiment. Like I said, it was it was uh, it was grounded in a lot of research to begin with, and I just wanted to create a place where stories could be told. I wasn't sure if I wanted to do like an RPG setting or if I wanted to write a book or whatever. And uh, I joined the Giants in the Playground forums uh, around the same time because I couldn't find a gaming group up in Chicago for a couple of years, and I was really starved for games. Post games over there, and I was posting my ideas there, and people were receiving them. And I realized that I needed to find a system to put the game into. Uh, and I just was looking around the internet, and I found one called Warrior Rogue and Mage, which is a, an indie system that's classless and really rules light. And uh, it's also open source, so it was really easy to develop for that. Um, and I played the Blackwood and Worm for. I don't know, maybe two years or something. And I got a lot of feedback about the tone of the world, not so much the mechanics because those were out of my control anyway, mm -hmm. but you know, the story and the, the themes that were at play and all that stuff. And that's where I refi refined all that. And then eventually it got to the point where I was like, you know, I think I want to publish this thing and I, I can't do that with worm. So I want to find a system that I could do that with. And I was also looking for something that was a little less indie, maybe it had a bigger community attached mm -hmm. to it. Um, so I was looking around and I knew I didn't want to do something really crunchy like D and D or Pathfinder. Uh, but I did admire the tactical possibilities of games like that. So I was looking around and I also enjoy, uh, pulp stories mm -hmm. and I had heard Savage World was a good pulp system. And the more I found out about it, the more I realized that it was the classless, mm -hmm. light, uh, crunchy system that I was looking for. And so I got the rules, you know, the rules are like 10 bucks or something. And I read through it a couple of times and I ran a few games and was really impressed with the way that Savage Worlds models uh, a lot of actors on the stage. You know, you can have 20 yeah. different combatants and still resolve the combat in like an hour. It's super fast that way. Um, and from there was pretty much history. I mean, the, the Savage Worlds community on G plus and Facebook are both really robust and everybody was really receptive to my ideas there. And they, a lot of people actually helped to uh, figure out, you know, how to adapt a particular thing to the Savage World's rule set. And uh, yeah, I've never looked back. It was, it's been a great experience since then. 
Yeah, interesting. Um, I, I I find that um, the idea of switching from the the uh, worm that the system, the the original system, was in to uh, Savage World. Um, did you talk to the? Was the reason why you can use worm was because it was not an open license system, or did you talk to the people who make it, or was it more of uh, the the practical consideration that Savage World is a larger fan base? It was a little bit of both. I uh, I didn't talk to the creators of Worm, but I looked around on their website and I had downloaded all their products because they offer them for free. And they their copyright laws seem to pretty clearly state that you couldn't you know develop your own stuff for Worm and sell it. And that was something that I was wanting to do because right. I would like to get the setting out to a wider audience. And so Savage Worlds did have a really easy licensee process, uh, and then it also had the community to back it up. So. It was a pretty, uh, it was pretty much a no-brainer, and yeah, like I said, you know, the licensee process, it's, I compared to even something like the DMs Guild or or what have you, like mm-hmm. it's just really simple to become a Savage Worlds licensee. All you have to do is prove that you have good design skills and you're a, a solid writer, and you can like make the products look pretty, and right. they'll let you make stuff for free. Uh, yeah, no, because they want to sell core books and. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, so if you, you need that, like that, that's how they work is that, um, I know in the Savage Worlds, uh, I've looked at the license too, and it's you, you create campaign settings and then they keep the core rule. So you, the, you know, the player needs both books. So it's still a, mm-hmm. a good business move for them. Um, so, um, yeah, that, uh, I find that, yeah, that kind of, uh, uh, work in game design. Uh, so after you switch to Savage Worlds, um, how long do you, did it take you to write the book to where it is now? Yeah, well, um, by the time I converted to Savage Worlds, I had already gathered together or written up all the information for the player's guide. Uh, all that I was really lacking was adventures at that point. And so it took me maybe like six months or so to get all of the rules converted over to the Savage Worlds system. And then from there, I got together a group of playtesters who were people that I had gamed with in high school and college and really mm-hmm. valued not only like their role-playing skills, but also their ability to examine systems. Um, and so we had a, a YouTube campaign that we played for about a year. Uh, that's on my YouTube channel. You can check it out. It's called the Blackwood Codex. And, uh, yeah, we played about 13 sessions and we went through a big chunk of adventures that weren't necessarily like a one-for-one translation into the quests you'll find in the Errantry Codex, mm-hmm. but they laid the groundwork for a lot of those quests and a lot of the ideas that I tested in that campaign playtest were adapted in various forms into, you know, like one, two, or even three adventures in the book. Interesting. Um Yeah. Have you done any offsite? Have you sent the uh, the material to um, blind play blind play, play test groups? You know, uh, groups that you aren't personally running the games for, or anything like. Well, that? I've sent them to people, but it's tough. We're uh, we're brand new indie publishers, and we are fairly new to the community too. And we've got a lot of connections and everything uh, in terms of like Savage Worlds folks who mm-hmm. are totally willing to take a look at what we've written, but um, we haven't had a whole lot of outside playtesters run the game. We've had like maybe one or two and uh, the feedback, like I said, has been really good, but it's been somewhat sparse. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we've, what I've ended up doing. So I had the YouTube campaign playtest, And then since then I've been basically 
running promo games like mad for people. So I'll do a lot of stuff up here locally in Chicago and I'll do stuff online with really anybody who wants to get a group together. Um, that includes a couple of different groups on Facebook and Google plus and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I would say at this point there are maybe 40 or 50 people who have played the game. Um, some of them without me as the GM, but most of them, Mm -hmm. uh, under my, you know, game right. mastery. Well, I mean that that's you know kind of how it goes at first. You have to, uh, right? Know, word, word of mouth <laughs> has to start uh, somewhere. So, um, so the Kickstarter itself, uh, this is for like a print version of the campaign setting. With uh, what what is aside from the the basic sort of uh, here is the I assume that you know there's a chapter on this is what the the Blackwoods is like and here. Here are the major factions. Here are the major monsters. Uh, what else can uh, people expect to find in the book? Yeah, so the book, um, one of the things that I took a lot of inspiration from in terms of uh, writing the actual text is uh, it was a podcast episode. It was an interview with the Angry GM, and mm. he cited the Menser Red Box as a really great example of how to teach someone how to play a role-playing game. Because in the red box, you know, you open it up and it starts off with that solo adventure mm-hmm. where you go off and you run into the necromancer and the cleric dies. And you, you learn in the course of that adventure, how to make an attack roll. You learn what AC is, you learn how to deduct HP and that sort of thing. Um, and I really loved that idea. It's not like you sit down and you read this ponderous tome and then you're ready to play the game. It's like, no, from the very beginning, you're playing the game. And so my design ethos, I guess, throughout the whole process was what information do I need to communicate to people before they can play the game? And everything else I want to sprinkle into adventures or into character options and that sort of thing. So the book is going to start off with a solo adventure that's maybe two or three pages, and it's basically just a choose-your-own-adventure thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't necessarily teach you the Savage Worlds mechanics, but it does teach you the tone of the Blackwood and the actions that will either help you or hinder you as you're navigating the world on your own. Mm-hmm. Um, and then right after that, there is going to be two or three pages, uh, depending on layout, that will give you all of the background information you need. So... Uh, from there, the rest of it is just like, you know, here are your character options. Here are the five races that you can choose from, although really they're more like uh, cultures of humanity that are within this forest, not true uh, other races. And then uh, from there, it's like, you know, you've got your gear section, you've got edges and hindrances, uh, you've got a gazetteer that'll introduce you briefly to the different locations in the world. And then the rest of the book is going to be the game master section, which will have a little more exhaustive gazetteer that has like secrets and stuff sprinkled in there. Mm-hmm. And then it'll have the uh, actual plot point campaign and savage tales, a uh, list of magic items and other kind of secretive gear. And then encounter tables with, uh, I think it's around 40 different uh, encounter entries between monsters and humans and elves and all that. Okay. I think by the end of the day, it's going to be around an 80 or 90 page book. Cool. Um, what kind of magic yeah. items would you, uh, have in a, a game like this? Um, uh, yeah, well, maybe the best example is actually not a true magic item. It's from one of the edges that you can take. So, uh, one of the, uh, one of the edges you can take is called magical trinket mm-hmm. and all you need to be able to, um, uh, get the requirements for this, for this particular edge is that you also have to be lucky. And then as a result, you have an unspecified number of magic items that only you can utilize. 
and they're each designed to overcome a particular challenge. So uh, there's a folktale where a girl is running away from an elf in Grimm's Tales. There, it's actually the the ingredients for this folktale are scattered around between like six or seven individual tales. But um, yeah, you know, she's running away and she grabs a comb out of her bag and she throws it behind her and it turns into this giant thorny hedge. Or she's got like boots that she can put on and they grow wings and she can fly away, but only for a little while. And so we wanted to kind of capture that, uh, I guess you might call it impish magical nature in, in our game. And so you've got one-use magic items, things like no fire smoke, which is basically just a, a wicker ball that's a smoke bomb because, you know, you can't have wuxia without having a, like a ninja vanish moment. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then we've got um, some more powerful items like, uh, you know, you've got daggers that or weapons in one form or another that will not necessarily give you a combat bonus, but they'll let you do things that you wouldn't normally be able to do. Like you might have a sword that gives you the magic of leaf step, which allows you to flip through the trees, mm. uh, like Limu Bai and Crouching Tiger or something right. like that. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and are these items that are, you can get a character creation or are they like, you have to find, get them from a, a slain monster or craft them yourself. Like, I mean, instead of, uh, cause you're, you're clearly not going for this sort of, standard D and D paradigm of kill monsters, get loot. I, I, it sounds like so. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, things like the magical trinket edge is something that you could definitely yeah. take a character creation and then you can have these little things. But, um, for the most part, magic items are things that you're going to discover in the course of an adventure. Okay. And I would say maybe 30 or 40% of the magic items we developed at this point are specifically tied to adventures that you will play. So, we didn't want to have like a random generation for magic items right. uh, be the staple of the system. We wanted pretty much every one of them to come with its own story. And uh, one of the things we're doing is we're trying to adapt folk tales is we don't want to do anything that's particularly famous. So you're not going to run into Little Red Riding Hood in the Blackwood, but maybe in the course of an adventure, you find something called the Cat's Eye Hood and it happens to be a red cloak and it gives you a bonus to notice checks because you know, Little Red Riding Hood, she did eventually notice that the wolf was about to eat her. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah, uh, that works. Um, so uh, this is your first time designing uh, uh, or, you know, creating a campaign setting. And uh, I assume, uh, is this your first time publishing a book, uh, writing and publishing a book? It is, yeah. So we've got a number of free supplements that are available for the Blackwood more or less as like uh, teaser uh, mm -hmm. items. So we've got a list of character archetypes that people can play in the course of the adventures. And then we've got four adventures that are published as, the t as of the time of this um, posting. Mm -hmm. uh, we've got basically four adventures that are going to take you through four seasons of life in the Blackwood. And they're a combination of folklore and wuxia tales. Uh, and so all five of those documents, we kind of cut our chops on the layout and design uh, aspect of game creation. But otherwise, yeah, this is a totally new thing for us working on a Kickstarter and trying to publish like a full scale setting book. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's quite a learning process, man. Yeah. So, yeah. Talk about that. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's, that's one of the things I'm always interested in hearing how people tackle these uh sort of issues uh not just the writing the editing uh but also layout uh you know and getting help i assume unless you're doing everything yourself uh and that kind of thing so yeah so um we 
our, our timeline for developing for Savage Worlds, I would say about half of it has been devoted to just research on what we're going to need to do to get this published because we are new to the game and we wanted to make sure we were doing it right. So we looked up the tutorials on Stonemeyer Games. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got just a huge number of Kickstarter tutorials. Yeah. Uh, we are part of a group on Google Plus called Kick Snarker, which uh, posts uh, particularly bad Kickstarter campaigns and makes fun of them. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, it's also a group where a lot of these people are practically professional backers and they have, you know, 70 or 80 projects that they're backing at once. And uh, they have a lot of insight in terms of what they're looking for, for page design and all that. Mm -hmm. So for about a year, we've been really heavily looking into what it takes to make a successful Kickstarter. Uh, Some of the lessons we've learned are things like, you know, you you mobilize your audience to go to Kickstarter. You don't go to Kickstarter to grow an audience. Yeah. Um, And then, yeah. And budgeting was a special kind of torture for me. I'm, I'm much more of a creative person. I really don't uh, do well with calculations and and like the business side of this, but we, uh, we ended up contacting a bunch of artists about uh, doing work for us. And we've got a couple of preview images up on the Blackwood Kickstarter page that you can check out. Uh, we've also got a guy, Eric Simon from Foreign Hand Games, is our Kickstarter consultant. Uh, he has run quite a few Kickstarters before, and he's pretty familiar with the process, so he's been able to give us a lot of insight into everything. Um, we've also got a guy, Nathan Paoletta, who is our layout designer. Uh, he's done a lot of stuff through a bunch of different indie, indie games, including several that he's done himself. I think the the one that comes to mind is Worldwide Wrestling. Mm. Um but yeah, we so as we were doing the layout for these free supplements, we realized that layout is something that's in our capability, but it's not in our strength. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's a lot easier, especially when we're working with a big project and time is of the essence. We really wanted to find somebody who was good and reliable. Uh, and that was not me in this case. So <laughs> we're farming that out. And, uh, yeah, the Kickstarter campaign itself is mostly to pay for all of these people that we're contracting out, mm-hmm. whether artists or layout people or whatever. Um, we actually don't start to, uh, make up our own costs and expenses for the book until the really later stretch goals. So we, we're putting, uh, we're putting our priorities in such a way that, the people that we've hired are getting paid first because that's as somebody who is an actor in my other, other life, it's really important to me that artists get paid and they get paid fairly. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that's, that's top of our list for the Kickstarter campaign for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it, it it's different. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that uh, when you're managing a project, I just like, I could do this, uh, but I'm not going to do it as well as what I'm really good at. So uh, there's right. always that. There's always a dilemma between like, do I want to spend time or do I want to spend money? And it, right. there's, there's no right answer. It just depends on, on certain, you know, case by case uh, examples. Mm-hmm. It's always difficult. Well, and you know, on the subject of that too, our stretch goals. I know a lot of people when they have stretch goals are like, we're going to make new books, or we're going to have like custom dice for you, or we're going to have mm-hmm. like 300 posters that are available, or whatever. Yeah. And that's really cool, and it's neat to see how much you can get just by backing the game at like the base level or something. But that also puts the game creators on the hook for quite a lot of work, and like every new yeah. thing that you add on is one more opportunity for things to go wrong. You know? Yeah, definitely. And so we, you know, we really wanted to just zero in on making a core product and doing it well. So like our stretch goals are going to unlock more art, better art, color, and that sort of thing. 
the one exception to that is that we, well, there are two exceptions. We've got one that's going to be a book of tales, which is a separate PDF. Mm-hmm. It's a collection of guest writers basically submitting one shots and then actual folklore that they've written for the Blackwood. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to be about 10 tales altogether there. And we decided to do a separate document for that because, like I said, the last thing we want to do is delay our publishing date for the core book. Mm-hmm. And so we can actually like still afford to keep the core book on track and then take the time that it needs, you know, give it another month or two extra to get this book of tales out if the, if the time or if the, if the situation calls for it. Sure. Um, and then the other exception is uh, one of our contributors to the setting. He did a lot of edges and hindrances. His name is Richard Wolcock. He uh, is also in uh, in the works to create a custom campaign deck for the Blackwood. And so, you know, Savage Worlds, they use card draw for quite a few different mechanics, initiative yeah. first and foremost, but a lot of other things too. And uh, Richard's figured out a way to create an adventure generator mm. uh, just by drawing cards. So you've got like every card has an objective and enemies and complications and then an actual structure for an adventure uh, in the form of five different mechanics that you would utilize. So you draw four cards and each one, you look at a different part of the card and it'll eventually give you a pretty complete adventure to be able to run in the Blackwood. And it's all, you know, thematically appropriate and all that. Interesting. Uh, have you play tested that particular mechanic yet? No. Um, so he's created one for his own setting called Saga of the Goblin Horde. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he has playtested it. So he knows the format is effective. And okay. all that it really comes down to us to do is plug in the uh, flavor appropriate uh, okay. information to each card. Yeah. Uh, that's cool. Um, mm-hmm. So in terms of the, the publication, have you figured out uh, how you're going to be printing the book? Um, is it going to be print on demand? Yeah. So- or uh, doing an offset run or. So. Yeah, we're going to do print on demand through drive through RPG. So the base funding goal or the base uh, funding tier for the Blackwood is $10 and that'll get you the PDF. And then if you want to do $15 instead, then we'll give you an at cost uh, code for print on demand through drive through RPG. And that way people are still getting a pretty solid deal out of printing it. And we don't have to uh, <laughs> worry about, yeah, uh, you know, yeah, fulfillment because <laughs> that's a huge headache. I've I've been backing a lot of Kickstarters over the past year or two to kind of see what that process is like, and uh, inevitably, whenever the the people get their pictures coming out for the updates of like their living rooms just full of cardboard boxes full of books, I'm like, yeah. oh man, that looks like no fun at all. <laughs> yeah, well, again, that's a time or money thing. It's cheaper to do that, but uh, it's more time consuming. You can hire fulfillment services to do that, but that's you know mm-hmm. uh, another ten percent off you know the Kickstarter budget uh, or something. Right? Like yeah, that, we're we're striking kind of a middle ground there. Drive Through RPG has been really good about uh, a margin mm-hmm. for handling that fulfillment, and there are other fulfillment companies we looked into, but. Drive through RPG turned out to be the one that was the most responsive and had the best deals and all mm-hmm. that. So, and we already have a drive through RPG account set up there too. So it was, uh, it was already, you know, yeah, primed they're, and ready they're to definitely go. The, the, I think one of the best options for small, uh, especially first games and the first books, if you're doing that, um, mm-hmm. I assuming this isn't going to be the only book that you, if you, assuming this Kickstarter does well, uh, do you have plans for more, uh, in the same setting, uh, more books or more projects, or do you want to branch out to different settings or your own game? Or, uh, do you have any plans for, like that for the future? 
Yeah, we've got quite a few different plans in the works, actually. So the Blackwood from the beginning has always been one setting in an entire world of settings. And what we're doing here is instead of exploring, you know, like this is a medieval fantasy world and we're going to explore the different regions of that world. Mm-hmm. It's like this is a world and the Blackwood is our medieval fantasy setting within that world. And then the next one is going to be called Empyrean. And it's going to explore the wide lands beyond the Blackwood, which is, you know, Great Plains, Central America mm-hmm. or Middle America. Um, and that'll be a few hundred years further down the timeline. And it's going to be a steampunk Wild Western type story. Mm. And then, you know, a couple more centuries after that, there's going to be a diesel punk uh, tropical type setting, Caribbean kind of vibe. Mm. Uh, so we've got those plans to develop the world itself. But we do plan to release at least a few extra adventures for every setting. Uh, So the Blackwood, like I said, it's going to have something like 50 or 60 adventures, including the plot point by the time all is said and done. But we've come to realize recently that a lot of people really prefer depth of settings over breadth of settings. And so we're considering, you know, like a second plot point or another pack of Savage Tales to go with uh, the adventures or or stuff like that throughout. but then also we do want to get into other types of gaming too. We uh, we actually just submitted one for the 200 word RPG challenge this year, and uh, that's something that we might consider expanding into a more of a complete story game. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, my, game. yeah. Those sort of indie like micro games and storytelling focus games uh, do have their own pretty large fan base as well. So um, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a good it's a good uh, crowd of people too. I, I so recently I played The Quiet Year for the first time, oh, and yeah. uh, I'm a I'm a fan of indie games, but I don't get as much of an opportunity to, to play them. It seems like most of my player community is uh, more trad gaming focused. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, like this <laughs> this game that we did for the 200 word RPG challenge, I'll gush about it for a little while. It's called Caltrops. And the idea is that it's two players and you are each ninja masters and you have uh, like your clans have sworn to destroy each other. And so it's a dice pool mechanic where you only use D4s and you uh, basically have a Caltrop battle with each other <laughs> over the course of over the course of like the story of this clan yeah, war. They are they yeah. are Caltrops. You don't want to step on a D4. Uh, right. And, yeah. you know, I looked through previous entries of the of the RPG challenge and it not a single game that I found actually invoked that trope. I was shocked. Yeah. I was like, that is like one of the core tropes of the hobby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, when you, you said your setting uh, is going to I find I, I found it interesting that your, your future expansions uh, for the setting were the same world, but uh, along uh, a continuous timeline. Um, so, because a lot of people, uh, the usual thing is for game, you know, publishers to make them always compatible with one another so that, you know, if you have game X and game Y, you know, uh, you can cross over. Um, but obviously unless there's some sort of time travel mechanics or characters are immortal or an aging or something, uh, that's going to be a Mm -hmm. a problem. Have you, have you thought about that? Or is that, um, what, what, how, I'm just interested in your your uh, thought process there. So, yeah. So we've thought of a couple ways to get around that. We're thinking maybe like in future Kickstarters, whenever we kickstart these settings, a stretch goal might be something like a conversion guide if you want to play a Wildlands adventure in the Blackwood time period. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's would be a, that would be a pretty easy fix. But um, generally, I like games that are. 
uh, focused on generational play. I love the idea of being able to play a character from youth to old age and then retire that character and bring in like, you know, uh, uh, some of his progeny or what have you. Um, and so I, I don't have a problem personally with these different settings, basically making it impossible to play the same character. Uh, and I don't want to give too much away, but there is a bit of a time travel theme present uh, in the worlds uh, okay. <laughs> that becomes a little more prevalent as you go further down the timeline. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, like that's something that we've got in the works, but we've got a few ways to kind of accommodate that sort of thing. Okay. I mean, yeah, like uh, time travel is always an interesting uh, subject in games, but it's very hard to tackle. Um, I mean, the one game, right. the 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 game I've seen most devoted to that continuum. I don't. I I've, I've looked at the rules. I've read them. I, I don't think it can be played by mere humans uh, because right. their example <laughs> of play is like, all right, he goes back in time to undo this th- mistake that he previously did, and I'm like, oh god, what? How does that work? Yeah. Uh, even with meticulous no- note keeping, I don't. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah, so. like I said, the Blackwood really doesn't have any time travel uh, shenanigans going on in that setting in particular. But um, we, and that's that's partly by design. We aren't really sure how we want to tackle time travel in a game because the easiest way to handle time travel is determinism. But determinism and agency do not get along, and so yeah. it's a real question. You, how do you? preserve player agency while giving them the opportunity to go back and forth through time. Like I think, I think probably the most likely bottleneck for it is to find some sort of narrative reason why they can only do so much time travel or, or what have you. But yeah. yeah, it's a, it's a problem that we've wrapped our heads around for a while now and we're not going to find a solution anytime soon. I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Cool. We get um, so, yeah, no, it, it sounds like a, a, a fascinating setting. And um, are you going to any cons this year? Yeah, we're uh, we're looking into it. I'm also getting married in December, so my wow. time for the rest of the year <laughs> is really tied up. But uh, if we can get to one like in August or September or something, we'd love to. And there are a lot of digital conventions that we're planning on attending. I know uh, the RPG Brigade, Brigade has their Brigade Con, mm-hmm. I think, in October of every year. Um, so we're going to do that. Uh, there are a couple local Chicago conventions we might go to. ValorCon uh, okay. is one of them. Sure. That sort of thing. Cool. Uh, yeah. But in 2018, we plan to do a lot more uh, convention attendance. Okay. Um, yeah, it's never mm-hmm. too early to start planning for uh, some cons. You know, Gen Con is. Yeah, right. Yeah, Gen Con, you got to plan, you know, 20 or 30 years out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, only about a year. I mean, you, you start doing. Well, yeah. yeah. It's in August. You start, you really start doing it in January. Uh, so it's fine. Um, so uh, cool. Well, uh, I hope you're, I hope the Blackwood uh, Air Entry Codex does well. Um, and is there anything else you'd like to add? Uh, well, um, I could I could definitely list you know how people could get in touch with me. Uh, I'm I'm pretty active on a lot of different social media, and I'm always oh, yeah. open to chatting about you know whatever's under yeah, the sun. Yeah, if you have questions about uh, the Black Air Entry Codex, uh, yeah, w- w- go ahead, hit up your Twitter and everything else. Sure, sure. So uh, our main website is just mythicgazetteer.com. The Mythic Gazetteer is the name of our co- uh, company, and the website is mostly a blog, but it's also got a lot of uh, you know it's like my portfolio for custom fantasy mapping commissions that I uh, that I do. Hmm. Um, and then on Twitter, we've got a handle at Zap Dynamic Z A P D Y N M A M I C. Ah, 
Anyway, dynamic is spelled normally. We'll, Zap we'll is have, with one we'll, P. We'll have it in the show notes. Uh, <laughs> Sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'm on YouTube and Facebook and Google Plus as well. So uh, I'll, I'll make sure you get those links too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I'll have all the show notes with those links. Uh, so cool. That's Black Air Entry Codex on Kickstarter May 2nd to May 30th. So uh, thanks. Uh, and talk to you guys later.